first ever episode. <laughs> this podcast is called Shadow Playground. And it's actually it's looking at what helps and hinders us on our journeys of living lives full of playful vitality. Would you just share uh, a, a story of playfulness, a moment that felt really playful for you, both as a child and then as an adult? So two sort of two separate stories. Okay. So as a child, one of my favorite things was to sing songs with my siblings and my cousins and act them out. So I have memories of singing songs um, uh, by the band Queen, you know, like Don't Stop Me Now or um, Bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. Um, Yeah, and just, I don't know, like, other like many Brazilian songs as well um and just like kind of like acting the songs in a way and like kind of putting putting a little show and yeah that this is one of my definitely one of my most precious memories as a, as a kid I think it was one of the moments where I felt most in tune with my with my brothers especially my younger brother um, and my cousins, and with my younger brother and my older brother, but especially with my younger brother, we would also sing and act many scenes from the musical Rent. And we still do that sometimes. So I guess this like joins another moment in my adult life where um, I feel really free and expressive when I'm doing these kind of like, I don't know, like spontaneous okay, let's sing Rent right now. And then we'll just use whatever, whatever stuff is like, um, whatever stuff is in the room to make the scene happen, you know? Um, yeah, I think like role playing in that sense with like singing and acting has always been a big part of my life since I was a kid. Another big part of playfulness as a kid for me is like, figuring out the rules of a game. So I think that was definitely one of the things that I did with my cousins on my dad's side. And we would, we were um, four cousins who were very close in age and my younger brother as well would hang out with us, even though he's a bit younger. And we would take a really long time to just kind of figure out what characters we were, what was our goal and what was happening in this game. So we would make up a game with characters and the best part of the game was like kind of making the rules. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that, that, no, that notion of like a sandbox, you'd spend like a lot of time building up the sandbox, the rules. And then yeah. once it was ready, you're like, let's go. Yes. Yeah. And like the game itself, the playing of the game sometimes would last 10 minutes. Whereas the making of the game would be like a solid 30 minutes, you know? So <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I see that with kids as well. I also work with kids, um, both in theater and in nature education. And I see that they get really excited about making up the sandbox walls, as you mentioned, and seeing themselves in the role of this or the role of that. And kind of figuring out how that role changes as the game changes as well. I find that really fascinating because they, they take it really seriously, much like I did, you know, and I think 
as adults, sometimes we tend to, I mean, I, I tend to do this sometimes where like, I just want to get through the rules as fast as possible to play the game. But there's so much joy in like crafting that world, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I like how we always used to focus on the actual game itself. But you're saying, well, actually the creation of it is the pleasure. Like the process in building it is where there's so much joy. And then afterwards there's more, you're actually playing it. But even just the preparation has that sort of value. Mm-hmm. Kind of like planning a party, you know, how that excitement of like before you host guests, it's like you imagine what's going to happen. And then as you're choosing something that you're going to serve them or you're cooking, you're like, ooh, who wants the crust of this? Or who's going to want this piece of the cake? Or, you know, there's kind of this, this tiltillation. And then when things actually occur at a party that remind you of what you had imagined, it's so exciting. It's like, yes, I, I saw this happening. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I don't think it's like an evil laugh when it's like, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, it's happening. <laughs> With like little fists in the air. Totally. Oh, beautiful. And where, so where are your current sort of sandboxes then? Because it sounds like you love to mm-hmm. make them and design them, plan them. And so where are you finding that your, um, your current sandboxes are in your life? When it comes to being with friends, I think that uh, sandbox, the first sandbox for me is like, where? Where are we? The place itself. And depending on what, what we're planning on doing, it makes such a huge difference. Sometimes even just moving a couple of, steps away or getting closer to a source of water or being indoors or being outdoors I think it it makes a huge difference definitely like a place uh, that that can inspire whatever is being done Uh, to give you an example recently I organized a little singing group with some friends who just missed singing with other people so at first we were indoors and um, we realized that it was one of the first warm days here in Jojage, also known as Montreal. And so we we're like, okay, let's go outdoors and let's sing by the river. And it was so nice. It was just like, it was the exact place where we needed to be to sing the songs that we wanted to sing. And I think it actually inspired the songs that were sung. Um, one of one of my friends uh, sang a song from Sweden. She's Norwegian and she knew a song from Sweden about um, the, the, the shouting, the yawp of the spring. So she was looking at the river and she was like, okay, we have to do this song, this Swedish song. So I think it's maybe, it's, I don't know if it's Swedish. Maybe I think it is, but don't take my word for it. But anyways, um, yeah. So we all just kind of yawp together for the spring (laughs) and that was so nice yeah so definitely location yeah place and then uh another another thing that helps the sandbox walls with with um gathering with friends whenever there's something creative that's happening i find is is um the kind of heart of it like the heart the center of uh of being together and i think the heart of it is um is something that is made together. You know, it's like you feel it when you touch it, when you're with a group of people and you touch it together, 
you you know what it is it's it's hard to explain but it's like um especially with that kind of like free flowing style you know when you do something with a group and you're like okay this this is the thing this is the heart of the thing that we're doing you know with this example of the singing group there was a moment where we were uh in a little circle together and we were improvising sounds with the sounds that were around us and that felt like the heart of what we were doing and i think it was like a common a common feel you know so we did that again at some point um, yeah so yeah that that, uh, that makes me think or it's just a beautiful reflection around how as a group there's a moment when you kind of all tune in Mm-hmm. And you're all sort of a collective understanding of we're in the heart of this. This is the heart of this gathering of this moment with these people in this place. And that likewise, I imagine there's moments where that's not happening, where the group is trying, 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 trying. And it's like, we're not mm-hmm. finding why we're actually here or the actual heart of what's actually happening. <laughs> do you have any stories of that? <laughs> yes, I do. Actually, I have a story of when we met up with some other friends, I don't know if you remember this moment as when we met up to do some free play improv. Um, and we had rented this room to kind of improv games, um, a little bit in theater and kind of just this free flowing theatrical moment, um, just to kind of play around. And I think that we spent a good hour trying to figure out what it what kind of improv game felt the best and it was only at the very end that we did something that felt like okay but do you remember this do you remember that yeah i do it was we were we were not listening at all and everyone kept proposing new ideas and then ignoring the other ones and it was (laughs) (laughs) that was it felt like a giant failure Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, I, I recall that that moment as a reminder of like exactly what you just mentioned, like listening and um, yeah, maybe, maybe it was like a success in not listening. Exactly. <laughs> it was a success, a success in not listening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask you as well about your, you have a very, from my understanding, a very specific life philosophy when it comes to living. I think mm-hmm. from my perspective, you, you live fully in big emotions, in the ups and downs, the valleys, the mountains of life, and without compromise. Um, so I'm curious if you, yeah, how would you describe your, your life philosophy uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to living and being? Uh, what words would you put to it? Emotions are the motion of life for me. That's what moves me. Um, that's what connects a lot of what is new and what I think I already know, but realize that I, whatever I already know, I don't actually know it because it's always transforming. And I think emotions make that bridge from what seems unknown, what seems far away to what can get closer, can become known. Um, and what I understand by emotions, it's, it's not just kind of uh, the, I think there are like five of these so-called 
um, base emotions. I think it's a happiness. Wait, is it five? Happiness, anger, fear, disgust, sadness. Is that, are those the five? I mean, yeah, I've heard those five or six or definitely. I know everything six. that is. There's yeah. like, there's like t something about like a, a defined number of emotions. And I find that's limiting for, for human beings to, to think of emotions as like words that can, that can fall into those categories. It's important to, to have references, but I think emotions can also be connected to something that um, is not an, like a word describing an emotion. I'll give you an example that connects to my philosophy of life. At some point, uh, I was giving uh, classes on musical awakening for really young children. No, at this point, it was, sorry, it was theater in a theater awakening. So first classes, theater classes of their lives. And these were four, five-year-olds in a preschool kind of daycare. And um, before the class started, we would go over each participant and teacher and ask them their name and, and how they were doing. So how are you feeling today? And so the child would then say, oh, like an emotion or a word. And then one of the kids said, gray. And I stopped and I asked, what do you do when you're feeling gray? And the kid said, well, I feel like reading when I feel gray is when I read. But there was no hint of sadness or kind of uh, melancholy. It was, it's just for him, it was just reading, just liked reading. And the word gray was associated for him with reading. And so we just used that in the class and then future classes as well. I was like, oh, hey, so and so. Like, uh, you know, two days ago, I was feeling gray. I, I got a couple of books and read them in the library. It was awesome. And we created a language about this particular emotion that connected to this particular kid. And so I, I feel that very strongly with uh, emotions that we can, we can really create um, a subjective relationship to them and associate them with colors or different plants or a different, I don't know, it's kind of like an undescribable feeling, you know? Um, or textures, but I think that there's so much there for us to discover still, and there's so much complexity. Um, sometimes we don't feel just a single thing, right? We feel multiple things, and then it also morphs and merges. And you know, the classic like cry laughter, I think, is a good example. Um, and I, I see great value in experiencing the complexity of emotions as they occur, and feeling the body transform the feeling and then be transformed by the feeling as well. I think that's one of my favorite parts of living is how we can experience things physically. Yet we also know that they are beyond the physical realm. At least I, I feel that way, that it's something, there's something beyond the physical realm that I can connect with when I fully experience my emotions. So 
So it's almost like the emotion, there's so much interesting things you just said. The emotion is connecting you to something bigger in yourself. And it doesn't need to be a word. It actually can be anything. And it's a sort of this motor that helps you transform and that we're actually pushing into sort of, you know, subjective understandings that are actually much greater than any subjective understanding that we could give them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find that language is one of the things that helps us make sense of things and categorize um, how we experience and how we walk through the world. And I think language can be a lot broader than we, we make it be. And um, yeah, I connect with, with uh, associating um, surprising words or terms to feelings or um, kind of having, I guess like some people, like for, for people who have synesthesia, this is a reality that they experience, right? Like on a daily basis. Even for people who don't have synesthesia, I don't have synesthesia. Um, there's something about this, like how synesthesia is in fact occurring at all times in our, in our worldly experience. Things are a lot more overlapped than we think. And I think it's nice to be able to create a web of understanding as opposed to kind of like a categorical box, right? Um, and like, yeah. So, but that's like a, for, for a very kind of pers- personal relationship to my own emotions, I, I find that that helps me. But maybe some people feel like, you know, for them, it's really like kind of when things fit into a term, it makes them, it, it can possibly be um, freeing because they can connect to a specific term. But I, I definitely connect with more kind of like breaking that, that wall um, of the term. Yeah. It sounds almost, it sounds almost like a web and an arborescence and like a, a lasso to other dimensions. Like it just is constant. Um, yeah. yeah, this constant sort of shifting dynamics. And I'm wondering if you were to tune into yourself like right now, and just to help us understand a little bit about your process for understanding what's going on, mm-hmm. what are the different layers of the web that are there for you right now? And how would you describe them? Okay, so Part of it is like the light that I'm receiving right now from the the window in my living room feels like quite green, quite quite um, bright, and I think it's part of it is green because of the plants that are there. I can I can show to you. Okay, they're very green. Yeah, <laughs> and so I feel like the presence of this color of this light as something that's like, like a physical sensation in my body, right? Beyond just my, my color perception. Um, so this is part of, this is like feeding into my emotion. Um, I also feel the presence of like Zoom, I don't know, Zoom meeting, uh, the internet. There's something about it that uh, changes the way I speak as well. So it's also connecting to my emotion. It's also what I say the words that I that I speak are coming back to me at all times. You know, they're resonating to you, but they're also informing what I'm going to speak next. So I think that there's something about that as well. That's like um, I can't tell you exact. I can't give you like the emotion that I'm feeling right now. Maybe it's a blend of this like green light <laughs> and this like Zoom internet vibe, and then I'm also 
cozy in a wet, cold day, and I'm talking to somebody that uh, whose presence I appreciate and whose work I admire. That's you, <laughs> and so I feel like um, like bubbly and uh, a little bit of like uh, like um, I don't know. Like there's there's. I, I think it's just it's the it's this like unnameable feeling, but I can feel it in my body, and I could maybe do an interpretive dance for you, right? But I can't tell you what the emotion is, <laughs> and I don't want to try to find an emotion that could box it in. I just want to experience it as it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm hearing that you have sort of a if you a play of superpower, if you will, and it's to like deeply connect to the moment. So you're seeing green you're having the zoom be like this is weird <laughs> just like <laughs> back and forth it gets chilly and i'm cozy and i don't want to box into emotions but there's something about naming all of these dynamics that are happening that really situates you mm -hmm. and i think it offers up a lot of possibilities for where you might go in any given moment like you said maybe i would do an interpretive dance and i don't want to tell you what i'm feeling i could show you yes yes <laughs> And so how do you use this sort of play superpower in your life, Cleo? How do you, because you have this sensitivity, this ability, and you have this clear philosophy of how of understanding the role emotions play and not needing to box them in. So how do you use this, this superpower in your interactions in your life uh, as a tool, as a tool, or just as part of your existence? I use it as... Um as a way to communicate and uh, as an invitation to other beings, human and non-human beings, plants, animals, fungi. I think when I can be in this mode, which uh, occurs like pretty often, but sometimes if I'm feeling really stuck in life, it can be hard. But when I'm in this mode, I guess the way I, I use it is just by living it and inviting other beings to not have to define, uh, or I guess especially humans in this case, but um, I invite other people to experience that fullness as well. Um, and I'm also really interested in understanding uh, people's relationship to their emotions. So I think my awareness of uh, being an emotional being at all times um, and this kind of synergy of experience makes me kind of really interested and want to kind of, um, yeah, ask questions. And I, I like listening to when people talk about the way that they experience their emotions. And then sometimes I'll offer a little activity together. I'll say like, hey, what if we do this? Like, do you wanna like play a little game of, of like kind of working through this? Or do you, would you like to play, like do a little activity where we just roll around and giggle? Or do you want to, um, do you want to do like a free writing exercise? I just had this idea and I think that it could be, it could be fun for us to do. So I, I think that, that that does inspire me to come up with, uh, with 
yeah, with, with games for, for people to play. Um, yeah. Where no one wins, but everyone wins at the same time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so there's, a, there's an openness there and there's a possibility for games and activities and yeah. experimentation. Yeah. Uh, what would you, what would your tip be for people who are perhaps a little bit scared of their emotions or a little bit like, I eh, don't want to go there. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. <laughs> what would you, what would your tip be for beginning to explore that emotional landscape that inhabits us? Um, to breathe first. Whenever there's that that resistance to truly feel the air coming in and going out, and to be kind to oneself, I think that that's like my. I guess that's what I would like to to offer is kindness as well towards oneself and towards each other. You know, it's like. Whenever I'm welcomed into someone's house or into someone's life, or if someone says hello, I feel that there's an exchange of kindness that I'm, I want to then be kind and I want to be kinder to myself. And so that opens up the possibility for experiencing emotions in a freer way, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then also. Um, sometimes I think like just letting our bodies be in that feeling can be helpful as long as we're we're aware of, um, of where we are and who are, who is around us. I think it's really important for us to keep respect at the forefront, both towards ourselves, our bodies and other people. And I think that feeling the emotions in our body can be very powerful as well um, while keeping, keeping respect in our minds. Yeah. Yeah. There's a kindness, there's a respect, there's a presence mm-hmm. in your body. There's mm-hmm. the breathing mm-hmm. and this opens up new, new avenues, new vistas. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think there's something also about like collective experience of a moment that is very empowering, especially when, when, when as an individual, it might be hard to, to fully go into a, a, an emotion. Uh, whenever, when we see someone else uh, living something physically that we can recognize that resonates with how we are feeling, it's, it's like liberating, you know, it's like, oh, oh, wow. Like, okay, you feel this too, not just me. And I think that that is also one of uh, one of my favorite ways of existing is is uh, feeling emotions with other people um, in a true way, in a, in a real way that feels honest. You know, yeah. That can be so powerful that that resonating both in the same frequency. Yeah. I also have people in my life that who uh, who, who love emotions and who are very intense, and they sometimes get frustrated when they show up at a party or in a fit space and they're wanting that, they're wanting to resonate, they're wanting to, they're wanting to connect with on that emotion level. And the other people are not having it or the other person is not having mm-hmm. it. And they are just like, no, I'm actually gonna stay on a flat line. And so I'm curious for you, cause you're talking about kindness and respect 
and also valuing so deeply this like embodied emotional experience of life. So how do you navigate these situations when you're arriving to a space where someone isn't there and you're wanting to connect or engage and they're just not, they're not in that space at that moment? Mm. Uh, I respect that, that desire. I respect that moment that the person is living because that in itself is, um, is a form of, of um, connection potentially like um, I don't know what's going on for that person. If, if I, I might be able to have a conversation with them and, and, and they might uh, talk to me about it, but they might not. So I don't, I don't actually know what's going on you know, internally. And um, I definitely learned that the hard way in life. If I'm going to be honest, like I, I, I learned that the hard way because when I was uh, younger, I definitely like, it took me a while to understand how important it is to, to respect when, when people don't want to connect in the way that you want to connect. Um, and I'm grateful for my friends and my family um, who taught me that lesson um, quickly enough, you know? <laughs> how did they yeah. teach you? By telling me, like by telling me, I, I, I like to be respected in this way. You can respect me by doing these things. Um, clarity is also very helpful when there is, um, when there is an offer and then there is, uh, when there's an offer that isn't, that doesn't, you know, that is not received because the person doesn't want what you're offering. And I think it's important to know, like, it's important to know what you're offering at first, even like, what am I offering? Is this something that I'm trying to offer this person that they don't want? Is it something that I can offer to myself or why am I, you know, why am I doing this? I think. And then often I think we, we can also, when we're in a state, or when I'm in a state that I'm like, okay, yeah, like, let's say it's really intense, like, woo, and then there's somebody who's like, no, I don't want that. I think it helps me when I understand what I need in that moment. Like, is it that I, I want someone to, to dance with me? Is it I want someone to have fun with me because I'm not having fun enough? Or is it because I want to kind of spread that joy? Do I want to amplify it? Um, if so, can I do it in another way that is I'm still fulfilling that need, but I'm not, uh, I'm not forcing anything on anyone, you know? I think that's really important. And, and yeah, and I, and I think especially for people who have like big presences, it's so, it can be so, um, yeah, I think it can, it can be so good ultimately to learn how to simmer down <laughs> and to connect with people where they're at, you know, without the intention of getting them to that, like, woo, you know, just it's you, oh, you want to connect with that person because you're, you're interested in them. You, there's something about them that's like, oh, wow. Okay. So you can also make the effort of, of um, reaching them where they're at, as opposed to imposing, uh, like, I don't know, a way of talking, a way of interacting. Yeah. Anyway, I, like I don't know. Maybe, like the, yeah. <laughs> I like this tools you're naming in terms of like identifying your own needs. Mm -hmm. like, okay, I have a need right now to celebrate and maybe no one else is there, but this is my needs. 
<laughs> or but also but also having that that balance that dance of being like oh right I'm going to meet you where you're at hello other person who's in a different state and that can be a challenge I once I once was at um I think I was at a, a tantra retreat and I had I was something happened I was listening to music and I was in that kind of like that kind of state and I was listening to music and I was just really excited and there was like a silent room and I kind of like ran over and I was like I, I put my earphone in someone else's ear with my music and I kind of wanted to like and I think my intention was to obviously just vibe together not the right space or time and he was just he was very kind you know this is just not where I'm at but that was just like a very stark example of how you can be in this complete sort of own plane play space, but doesn't mean that other people are there. No. Yeah. And there's something so beautiful about when um, we can tune into where the other person is, because then the other person is more likely as well to kind of want to tune into where we're at. I think that's, what's beautiful as well is like, there is, I think there's like a kind of, um, um, I don't know, like a force in, in the experience of matter that is about kind of balance. Like I think like the material world has this element of balance in embedded in it. Um, and, and I think that we also kind of tend to want to do that as well in our lives, or at least I, I, I feel like I have like more and more the propensity to try to find balance, right. Um, and harmony. So I, yeah, it's kind of like singing in a way. It's like you can, you can come, like come into a, a song with a really intense note and not hear any of the notes around you, and then people might stop singing, or a couple of people are going to feel like intimidated and they might like, okay, I'll join you there, you know, or you can kind of listen because some people might already be singing, but it's kind of a, it's like almost like a whisper song. So if you listen to that whisper song, you can actually harmonize with it in your own way. You don't have to like whisper, but you can harmonize with that whisper song with your own voice. I think that's like, that's maybe like a superpower that I would like to at some point work towards, you know, like, I don't think I'm there yet, but yeah. <laughs> this is a beautiful metaphor and around makes me think of how yeah, on a playground, someone could just kind of like a bulldozer and be like, ah, get out of the way, you're quiet. You're <laughs> Versus being able to tune in and be like, okay, how can I compliment this quieter, this quieter thing that's also beautiful? Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I'm exploring in this podcast is how we can also bring a uh, sort of playful spirit to mm -hmm. our most challenging moments. Uh, one of which is often sort of conflict. And I know we're talking about playfulness in this conversation really as this lens of multi-layered and sensitive emotionality. Mm. So mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, how do you bring playfulness to the conflicts that you experience in your life? And you, you can ask this question generally. And if you feel like sharing a story or two, also welcome to do that. <sighs> to play. <laughs> ah, playing. Yes. Um, hmm. Playfulness in conflict. That's a good one. Oh, I want to hear some, I, I'm excited to hear other episodes as well to hear what other people say about this because, oh yeah, playfulness and conflict. That's a good one. I experience, I experience it, especially um, 
uh, with my romantic partner, this, this like a natural tendency to play as a way to move through conflict. And at the same time, we can, we know that what's under the surface is, um, is deep. I think that um, sometimes breaking a rhythm is good in conflict. Sometimes it goes terribly wrong, but I find that at the times that I've done it, being still tuned into that kind of what the other person is singing, you know, the harmony of the other person, I think that breaking rhythm is a kind of playfulness. Um, for example, if I'm having a conflict with someone and it's, I feel like it's really intellectual and, and it's like kind of revolving around words and terminology and let's define this and let's, uh, I don't know, let's, you know, it's like very intellectual. I have at times asked the person, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have this conversation, but we're going to do it by moving our hands or I'm going to do I'm going to do a wiggle or I'm going to kind of dance something and then you're going to dance back at me. Or I've also done the classic for clowns. That is the, the classic put on your clown nose and do a clown turn to, to show what's going on in this conversation for you. And then you do the, the opposite for the other person. And I find that that is like, those have been the times where I have been like, deeply touched by what I've seen from another person and where I've gone like, oh, that's what you're experiencing right now. Because we've moved past the words. And we're no longer in a kind of mental space. We're in a body space. And I can read your body better than understand your words sometimes. So yeah. So it's like breaking the rhythm and moving yeah. your body actually helps you connect deeper to the person as opposed to swirling in the same dynamic. Oh yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And how do you, so do you have an example of how, um, let's say for you, for instance, in mm -hmm. conflict, would you be able to show us perhaps here where it's audio format? So mm -hmm. perhaps with a, your voice, sort of an amplified version of a point you might be making or giving us an example of how you might be doing this um, in a conflict, you could take any perspective and just show us how you might be able to amplify it in a clown-esque way, um, mm -hmm. speaking, for instance. So, okay, so let's say I'm having a conversation where the conflict, excuse me, I just needed to burp there. A con the conflict is about my burping. <laughs> Listen, I think that um, whenever I, no, okay, that makes no sense. Burping is not a good example. Let me take another conflict. Um, the conflict is about cleaning the dishes. Classic. Classic. Okay. Okay. So I've been cleaning the dishes for the past two days. And I've noticed that every time that I come home, you're there already. And I still go and do the dishes. Person other person says, well, you don't see the dishes that I'm cleaning before you're here because I'm actually also cleaning dishes, but you're making more dishes and the dishes that you're making are the ones that you're cleaning. You just don't see that I'm cleaning the other dishes. And actually last week I cleaned more dishes than you. Whoa, 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 says person one. What do you mean last week? I've been cleaning this whole time. Also, I think that you don't realize that 
there's more than just dishes in this conversation. It's like about the dishes, but also about the cleanliness generally of our house. Okay. Okay. Can you, okay, let's stop talking. Can, can we, can we, can I ask us, could we take a deep breath? Okay. I would like for you to go get a dish, bring it here, and you're going to make the movement of cleaning a dish. Okay. And I just want, want you to show me when you're cleaning a dish. How does it feel? Like I just want to just feel your body while you're cleaning your dish. And I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go get a dish. I'm going to come here and we're both going to fake clean these dishes in our imagination. Okay. And so both people clean dishes. And one person is like angrily cleaning the dishes. And the other, the other person is actually just like, kind of like is, looks so defeated. So now you have, I didn't, I didn't do it physically, but I guess I'm describing it with, um, with the description, <laughs> but um, yeah. So now you have two individuals who have been arguing about this, but they haven't until this moment, haven't been able to express how it makes them feel every time they clean dishes, just having that information and being able to see it on their faces on in their bodies even if the conversation still goes about, okay, who's going to clean dishes when, nah, 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 you now know this extra information that is going to change the way that you come to a solution. Because now you know, oh, this person is feeling angry, frustrated. This other person is feeling defeated. It's a different kind of relationship to the dishes that's going on, you know? That's such a so, fun example. Yeah. I, I, really, <laughs> I really like the the nature of taking in this example that you're giving you're talking about the dishes and you're like go get a dish i want to see you <laughs> cleaning it and how do you feel <laughs> and this is how i feel and it, it, it it's adding on we're talking before with the layers of emotion in some ways it's communicating something that can't be communicated by words so easily because it's communicating it in the body yes and then often i feel like when i do these kinds of uh change of rhythm in a in a conflict it actually makes me laugh sometimes like it make it makes not laugh not like i'm laughing at the other person but i or my am i i guess i, I laugh more at myself because i realize that it's like sometimes i feel so intensely about things but then i realize it's a little kind of silly or i feel silly you know not in like silly as in i realize like oh okay like actually Right now I have my needs met. I'm okay. You know, um, that, that often happens to me. I will just start giggling and then the conversation will be a lot lighter and it's going to be easier to find a solution. Yeah. Because you've gone to that point of yeah. lightness or shifting it. Like there's a playfulness that's there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And how, so on the long term, it sounds like you're actually very, you have those improvisational skills and you're able to sort of just remix these conflicts whenever it needs to happen. What have been the sort of longer term impacts on your relationships when you continue mm -hmm. breaking the rhythms of these conflicts that are spinning? How have your relationships evolved? How have they changed thanks to that practice? I guess people definitely, uh, especially my family, they're kind of in a way always like 
they're kind of always like waiting, like, okay, what is, what is Cleo going to propose we do now? You know, like what kind of activity? <laughs> so I think there's, uh, uh, I think there's like sometimes an expectations around uh, from people around me of that I'm gonna come up with these these uh, games or activities to for us to do together. And I think that it also creates an openness to experience that because um, because if you've already done one or two things like that, you already know that you can get through it and it's okay. Um, I think it also it also makes for for me it makes me it makes me um, uh, feel like confident that things can transform and they won't be broken necessarily. Like it's okay that relationships transform. It's okay that conversations transform as they're happening. And I don't have to control the way that they occur for them to be good. And I think the release of that control um, can, can be a part of that shifting because um, it's not just me who's going to propose things to, for the conversation to change. It's also the other people that are in, in that conversation, right? Because it's not just, it's, it's always in, in connection to someone else. So um, I don't need it to be how I propose it. As long as it's transforming, as long as there's some kind of uh, movement, it, that feels right. You know? yeah. When do you, and when do you let the conversation, the conflict or the relationship end? Mm, slash die think, slash I, okay period, that, slash. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one uh mm, i think it's really case by case i can't tell you that there's like a formula um yeah it it has already happened that like some some conversation like even you know a, a relationship can can kind of reach its current I don't know, like phase, and then it's going to transform. I don't know if it dies. I think even when I think back uh, on on people that I no longer am in contact with, I still have a relationship with them because they're still in my memory, and I can still um, shift the way that my memory is of like in regards to 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 the people who are no longer there. So I don't know if it ever dies. Um, at least I, I don't, I don't have a relationship in my life that I'm like, okay, that's dead. You know, it's like, it's not because they keep coming back. Um, yeah. So is that notion of it, cause you were saying that the importance is that it keeps transforming and that yeah. transforming may lead to not being in contact anymore, but mm. it's still part of the transformation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, even when people die, even when people pass, like they are still, are alive in our memories um and that's that's a powerful aspect of being human is having memory yeah 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 definitely i i agree with you with it you know someone can have been have been gone for uh you know 30 40 years doesn't mean you don't have a relationship a memory and that relationship can continue to evolve yes especially as new scandalous information emerges (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it's interesting. That's definitely, um, yeah, I can think of a couple of examples uh, in my life of people who've passed away. Um, my my great grandparents, uh, an aunt, um, but I 
people who with whom I still have a dialogue through how I feel when I think about them, right? And um, there's plasticity in that regard. And I think that there's also playfulness with our memories that we can, we can be playful with our memories as well. Respectful, always, always having respect towards the memories that we have. But I think that there's still also room for transformation, even when, when people have, have uh, passed away, even when relationships have, are no longer there, you know? Um, yeah. No, definitely. And I, I like that you're saying that, the, that that common thread of respect, you're still being respectful, but you're also able to play with your relationship with the person. Yeah. I'm wondering for you, I know that you're bi, tri-cultural. You have, you know, you spent time in, in Canada and Quebec in Brazil. The way that you show up um, in terms of playfulness or conflict, are there any diff- differences when you're in those different cultural environments? Mm, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, totally, 100%. Uh, yeah, like when I'm in Brazil, when I'm back with my family, like back home in Ter- Niteroi, from Niteroi, Higienuru, um, there is just like, there's just energy in the air that makes everyone, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's a, it's, it's just like a vibe of just talking a little bit louder, you know, like the decibels go up and I don't even know, like, I can't even tell you when I choose to do that. It just happens. It kind of occurs because everyone is speaking louder, faster as well. I tend to speak faster. the emotions are more vivid. Like I, uh, like I, I feel a lot more free in the expression of intense emotions. Um, yeah. And and then when I'm in North America, when I'm in in Canada, it's like, or specifically in, in Montreal, it's like, uh, I tend to, to adapt to an, an environment where, um, yeah, to the environment where, you know, it's, it's a bit less loud. <laughs> um, not all Brazilians are loud, but my family in particular speaks a lot, very loudly and speaks a lot. And there's just a lot of conversation going on at the same time. But here, yeah, I, I speak with more pauses. Um, I'll ask more questions. People tend to also ask more questions in conversation. Uh, in Niteroi, like when, when a conversation is good, you don't necessarily ask questions. You just kind of like you're listening to what a story. And then you're like, you just wait for, the, for that moment where you can like say the thing and then like start a story and then you go in, you know? So it's like a mode a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of traffic. It's like instead of waiting, you're like, no, I'm going in now. <laughs> yeah. That's that's wild because I actually remember I have like a very vivid memory. Like years ago when I was in traffic with my aunt and uncle and cousins in like going from uh Friburgo to Niteroi. And my uncle was driving and like the there were just so many cars, but still like and they were like, I think too many lines for there were like maybe three lines and then there were like five actual lines of cars and people were just kind of like merging into like two it was like a kind of a crazy situation 
but it was like a ballet. Like nobody would hit each other. People were this close to hitting their cars, but there were no, there was like, there were no car crashes. It was just that people were okay with being, with having these like tiny little maneuvers, you know, and just kind of like squeezed in and out. It was wild, (laughs) but it works because everyone's on the same understanding of like everyone is, is, has the same sandbox walls. And I think ultimately that's, that's the thing that uh, impresses me the most is how like you can really stand out in an, in an environment where you don't have this, this sandbox walls because you're just not, it's not the same paradigm, you know? Yeah. That makes so much sense. And so they, and there it makes sense because everyone's dancing together with the same, the same rules, the same understanding. <laughs> yes. The last uh, question I have for you is, you know, you've spoken about gathering like the space that where you are the people we spoke of these cultural differences we spoke of these layering of emotions i'm wondering for you what would be sort of the ideal scene for a conflict kind of like a dream conflict scene where is it and what's happening and how is the stage set for you to experience a beautiful big playful conflict because you're using the word stage it makes me think of a little bit of forum theater that was a kind of theater that was developed by Augusto Boal, um, a Brazilian theater creator. And um, yeah, he definitely did a lot of advances in theater in Brazil. And then since then, his, his theory has been, you know, kind of updated and, and criticized because it has a lot of things that don't work but it has some interesting nuggets to it. And one of it is that he'll, um, he proposes that people um, watch a scene of a conflict and then the, the audience that's there is invited, uh, one person or two, two people or three people in the audience are invited to go up on stage and take the, the role of whoever is, is uh, acting that conflict. So it's also known as theaters of the oppressed. And uh, yeah, and I think that that is something that I find uh, can be interesting is to watch a conflict that is yours and to just be a witness. And then when you've watched everything, you can go rewind and then you go into it and then you choose what the outcome will be. And then you can redo it as many times as you want. I think that is really empowering to experience the different outcomes of a conflict and to then choose what it, whichever one you find works best for the people who are involved, right? Um, which is not always, like, not a, like they're, not, they're not always going to agree. That's the thing. So I think it's interesting. Like, um, I think theater has has that embedded in it is that it gives the possibility of experiencing life in many different ways, both by being a witness and by being an actor in one's life. That's like it's from from victim to transformative agent in your life. And yes. I really like the idea of what you're saying of like, can we just pause? You're like, okay, I'm gonna step in here. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Thank you for receiving me and for having this conversation. It's, it's really 
nice. It, it it's nice to reflect on these these ideas. Yeah, thank you so much as well for sharing your wisdom. You have lots of experience, and this was a wonderful uh, wonderful conversation for me. I'm so happy to have had you on as the first guest on this podcast, and. I look forward to trying some of the tools that you shared as well, especially that dishwashing one. That's a classic. Oh my, 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 the number of dish conflicts. <laughs> yeah, well, all the best. And thank you for being here. Thank you, Liz. Have a good one. <laughs>